So this is the question that we have to kind of process, not just this moment and today, but really every day. Are you aware of God's presence? I won't ask you to raise your hands, of course, but you need to ask yourself this question because it is easy for us to point the finger at God and say, God, where are you? Or, God, I need you to come near to me. Or, God, I want to feel your presence. Sometimes the pointing of the finger makes it all about God. And we forget to take the time. One of the things that I want to do just briefly is I want to walk through the scriptures with you. To show you. To show you from his own word what he says about his nearness, this attribute we call his omnipresence. Before I do that, I just want to make one distinction. What does omnipresence mean? Omni, everywhere, right? His presence is everywhere. And some religions have taken that and abused that. What we mean by omnipresence is that God, in his fullness, can be everywhere, in his fullness, at all times. So, God is as present with us, right here, right now, as he is halfway around the globe in China, right there, right now. His presence, complete and full, is available everywhere, at all times. And we have to be careful with that, because there's, again, ways that that has been abused. There's an idea out in the world called pantheism. Pantheism suggests that God is everywhere in creation, like he fills his creation, and there's parts of him in every part of his creation. So when you walk outside and you see the trees and you see the grass, and that God is in the trees and in the grass and all of that sort of stuff, but they, I, the idea is that he's only there in part. He's the, that creation is God. That's pantheism. That's not what we believe. That's not what omnipresence is. We believe, according to Scripture and according to the Bible, that God created all things that we see. And therefore, he's not in those things. He created those things. He, in and of himself, is self-sufficient and self-sustaining outside of his creation. He doesn't need creation to sustain himself. So let's just be really careful. There's also some other things that would say that God is present everywhere, but there's only a part of him present in those places. So in other words, we might have a lot of God in New Hope right now, but, you know, halfway around the world in Russia, they only got a little bit of him. Because he can't spread himself all, he can't be everywhere all the same all the time. That's a, that's a lie that we don't believe. We believe in omnipresence. And we want to hold on to that as an attribute of who he is. So let's just walk through some scriptures. We'll start with historical, the, his, the history of the Bible. Deuteronomy 4.7 says this, What other nation, and they're talking about the nation of Israel, is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord God, the Lord our God, is near us whenever we pray to him. They recognized that God was near in a way that all the other gods that were worshipped at the time were not. Moses thought it was so important that he said this over in Exodus chapter 33. 
He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then in kind of one of those ironic statements that Moses would make, he says, if your presence does not go with us, presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But if your presence does not go with us, Moses says, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What makes us unique as Christians? God's presence. We must search And work hard to cultivate God's presence. There's omnipresence laid out in the Psalms. Various psalmists declare it. In Psalm 73, 27 and 28 it says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Probably no better scripture in the Psalms declares it than David did in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. How about Psalm 119, 151? It says this, Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. The psalmists declared God's nearness. The prophets declared God's nearness. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Again, these are scriptures that declare that God is present everywhere, all the time. We need not fear that He is not with us. Let's shift our attention to the New Testament. Omnipresence as reflected in the New Testament. Matthew 1.23, the very essence of the Christmas story that we'll be reading in just a couple of weeks. Jesus was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was the essence of Jesus becoming flesh, becoming one of us. John 1.14 says it as well. Word, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Later on in the New Testament, after Jesus was taken back up into heaven, He said He would give us a helper. We know the helper to be the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul lays that out and says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Holy Spirit, God, is with you. You, with me, with us. 
So the question becomes, and that's just a really high-level surface, right? Just, we just touch the surface of some scriptures. If God is everywhere all the time, and his spirit lives in us, and we accept that about him, why do I sometimes feel the need to find him? Why do I sometimes feel the need to ask him where he is? Or why he's so distant? It's the challenge for us, right? Because if you're honest with me, because I'll just be honest with you for a minute, there are times when I wonder where he is. It doesn't feel like he's close. And there's this idea that in our faith we should always feel something profound. And the truth is, our faith cannot be based upon what we feel. It can only be based upon what the Word of God says. And there are times when we will feel it. And there are times when we will go through periods of dryness and darkness. And we have to take time to cultivate those things. I came up in just researching and talking with different people for different reasons why we might not experience his presence. Three of them are kind of like, and this is just to be honest with you, three of them are are kind of how I think. And some of you might think like I do, and that is you might be a little hard on yourself. If I don't experience the presence of God, I point the finger back to me. What's going wrong with me? Why am I not feeling? And I begin to self-reflect, but also kind of shame spiral, we've called that, right? I, I begin to think, like, what is going on in my life that I don't experience God? And the top three there are kind of related to that process. And I put them there, I have to include them, because they are very important for us to assess. But the fourth one, and I'll talk about that one in just a minute, The fourth one, I think, is where a lot of people find themselves, and they don't even realize it. So let me just talk about the first three really quickly. If you are not experiencing God's presence in a powerful and in a dynamic way, the very first thing that we need to ask the Lord to show us is if there is any sin in our lives. Isaiah 59.2 says it this way, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear Sin, a life of sin, gets in the way of a dynamic relationship with who God is and who he wants to be in our lives. So we always have to start there. If you are struggling in that examined prayer, in any other time of prayer, take some time to say, Lord, show me. Please, God, reveal to me if there's something in my heart that needs to be dealt with. And he will. If you take the time to listen, he will show you that. Another reason that we might not experience God's presence is a lack of effort. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And the question becomes, are you searching with all of your heart? Or are there parts of your life that are a little bit distracted by what's going on around you? By the people that you're with, the job that you're going after, the career that you're pursuing, by the the material possessions that you'd prefer to have instead of other things? Are you searching for God with all of your heart? Because He promises that you will find Him. 
when you search for him with all of your heart. So we have to check our hearts. Is there a bit of a lack of effort on our part? The third thing is maybe a lack of concern. And I found this as I was working with the quizzers and reading through the quizzer material in Luke, the Bible quizzing material. There's a parable in there about this great banquet that's being set up by God and he prepares this wonderful banquet and he says, go out and tell everybody and invite them in and, and everybody should come in. And, and he's going, first of all, to those who should know, like this is going to be something phenomenal. And in Luke 14, verses 18 through 20, he hears this as the response. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Might be today, like, I, I just got a new car. Can I go drive it? Because it's really fun. Or I just got a new house and I got to go set it up. I got to go get some things for it. I got to take care of the yard. Like, Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Representing this idea that what God was preparing for us just isn't quite as important as what's on my plate, as what I've figured out that God wants for me, and this is what I'm going to pursue. Like, what God's calling us to, I'll just set that aside. It's this idea of a lack of concern. We don't recognize who we're talking to. We don't recognize the power of God's love, of God's transformational goals for our lives because we've got our own so we set them aside so again those three are kind of related to like maybe being hard on myself and so i think they're important i think you have to wrestle with those things but not everybody is there and i recognize that and i kind of tuned into that a little bit as i finished this maybe on wednesday or thursday and i and i just kept kind of thinking and praying what and this idea like, you know what, not everybody is like you, Scott. Not everybody's hard on themselves. Some people don't experience God's presence because they're hurting. They're broken. They've been hurt. They don't know how to trust in me because they don't have any good examples of what that really looks like. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Psalm 34, 18 speaks to those of you that find yourself there. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It reminded me when I was growing up, and some of you have this on your wall as well. I grew up and lived in my grandma's house for a period of time while we were in transition, and she had this picture on the wall. And it was a picture of the saying, and I can't even remember the exact saying, but it had a set of footprints walking through the sand next to the seashore. Anybody seen something that looks like that? And I would read the saying, and I was like, why is there only one set of footprints there? And, of course, that's what the saying says, right? Why is there only one set of footprints there? And the whole idea behind that picture is a reminder that Sometimes it feels like we're walking through life with one set of footprints. It's all me and I'm alone and I don't know 
where anybody else is. There's not like this companion walking beside me. And it feels like we're all alone. And then the saying on the picture would say, don't despair, because those footprints were Jesus carrying you. It's not that you were all alone. It's that he was actually the one there carrying you through the difficult times of life. That's what came to my mind when I think of hurting and lonely and are the prayers making it through the ceiling because, God, I just don't feel it. can't remember exactly who said the period of their life. I want to say it was maybe Teresa of Avila, but I can't remember. The dark night of the soul, experiencing this sense that we are all alone and there's just nothing we can work through and get through. There's many different reasons why we might not perceive him, but none of them mean that he's not there. And that's what we have to press through in those moments. So the question becomes, do you really want to experience the presence of God? He has his eyes attuned to you and to me, to our needs. He has his eyes attuned to the needs all around us. Hebrews 10, 19-22 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Notice the phrase, let us draw near to God. James 4.8 would say this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And I think this gets at this idea of feeling. Because in some ways, how can God be any more near than he already is, right? He's omnipresent. If we believe that, then what does this kind of a verse mean? Come near to God and he will come near to you. He's already near. This verse is this idea of cultivating that relationship, of pressing in, of giving the effort, of searching for him, becoming more aware of his presence. I'd like to close this morning with a story. On January 11th of 1611, A gentleman by the name of Nicholas Herman was born in Lorraine, France. Nicholas was not uncommonly extraordinary in any particular thing. In fact, just for fun, I looked him up on Google and they have these places that you can... Famous people born in 1611, he didn't make the list. Okay, So Nicholas Herman wasn't on notable people, uh, at least according to that website, and I have no idea what their criteria are. I didn't spend any time after that. But we know that he lived in relative poverty. We know that his poverty drove him into the army where he could get food and a place to live. And we know that while he was serving in the army, he, in what was known then as the Thirty Years' War, if you are a historian, that he also was injured. He injured his foot and his leg, and that injury stuck with him for the rest of his life. He was then discharged from the army 
because of his injury, and he searched for several years, different jobs, tried to do this or that to sustain himself. And it says that at one point during that journey of searching, he came across a barren tree. This was the winter time, and he came across a tree in the middle of winter. I went out and I found this tree yesterday up along the lake because it reminded me of this story. And it says that he was gazing upon this winter tree and he had basically what he counts to a conversion experience. We learn this if you were to go read about him in the Book of Common Prayer. He was outside gazing and it says this, he saw for the first time the majesty of God's grace and the constancy of God's providence. He imagined himself like the tree, waiting for the life that God would inevitably bring in season. And hence what I wrote, seasons change, but God uses each of them. And we need to practice his presence all of the time. It wasn't long after that experience that Nicholas became a lay brother in the Carmelite monastery in Paris, and he received a new name. His new name was Brother Lawrence. And some of you will know that name if you've ever read a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It is a short book that has stood the test of time, and though he doesn't make the list of notable people born in 1611, he is oft quoted by many a theologian for his simple practical life. For what he did in the monastery was he learned how to recognize God in every moment of every day and call into presence, call himself into presence and awareness, turning every moment into an opportunity for prayer. So he could be doing the dishes and find tremendous joy. He could be out tending the garden and find tremendous joy. He never really did anything outside of the monastery of note other than write this book, but people would come to him from miles and miles around because of the peace that they felt in his presence, because of the wisdom that he was able to give them through counsel and sharing. Brother Lawrence said by doing so, he was able to feel God's presence just as near while he was washing the dishes in the monastery kitchen as he did when he observed the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And the question for all of us, how are we practicing the presence of God? Driving? Cooking? Eating out? Playing games? Reading? Quiet times? How are you practicing the presence of God? I'd like to close with something that we've done before. And again, this is practicing these contemplative type practices. And I'm going to say a scripture. It happens to be this scripture, Psalm 145, 18. I'll say it normally, I'll say it a little bit slower, and then I'll say it a third time really slow. And what I want you to do is listen to the words, and similar to the examine prayer, 
listen to a word or a phrase that stands out to you from this scripture. What might God be saying to you today through this scripture? Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. Lord, You know it has been my desire to experience your presence in new and profound ways. And I confess, Lord, that I have often looked for those new and profound ways in the miraculous and in the mighty and in the big. But the idea of seeing your beauty in a tree that has lost all its leaves for winter seems barren and empty to me. And yet you created that tree to go through those seasons. And you allow each of us to experience different seasons. To teach us, to grow us, to help us to experience you in new and different and defining ways. And so Lord God, as we consider this morning how you might be speaking to us, the ways that you might be wanting to make yourself known to us. Lord, I pray that we will stop wrestling, stop fighting, stop pushing aside the different things that are going on inside of us and embrace them. And ask the question, 
What are you teaching us? How are you revealing yourself to us in those moments? And to trust that you indeed are and that you can work with us to become even more aware in the great and small things, in the big or in the, might, in the mundane, that you are present with us everywhere, all the time. And we invite you, Lord Jesus, to cultivate within us a deep love, a deep desire, and a wonderful experience with you. In Jesus' name, amen.